We're um, studying uh, the attributes of God, and today we're going to study this, that Yahweh is love. God is love. But what does that even mean? How do you even describe that? A.W. Tozer was asking one of his professors, Dr. Max Reich, who was the son of a rabbi and was a scholar at Oxford, brilliant in Old Testament He said, he's asking about someone else's commentaries, and he said, what do you think of Rotham's Rotham's work on the book of Psalms? And Dr. Reich said, Rotham is a botanist, and he botanizes Psalms. A botanist takes, he's explaining this to Tozer, he says, a botanist takes a lovely flower and plucks the petals off one at a time, they analyze it, label it, codify it, And when they're through, they don't have a flower. They have botany. And he says that's that's what Rotherham does with the book of Psalms. He he takes the psalm and, and looks at it verse by verse or word by word and takes it apart and analyzes it and classifies it, structures it. And at the end, you don't have this lovely poem by the King David. You have theology. Something was lost. And I am going to try desperately today not to botanize the love of God. What is the love of God? Saying what is love, trying to define love, that's like uh, what is music, right? Dots on a page. It doesn't even have words. And yet music has power, it has, it has meaning, it has beauty. What is music? How do you explain music to someone? How do you explain love to someone? You need, you need to paint a picture for a person to understand what love is. You need to be able to tell a story to get a grasp of the power of love. Hebrew is a language that is for painting pictures. Each letter of the alphabet is art all by itself. The language itself, the, the, the worldview that, that is required for you to understand Hebrew, it's a storytelling language. That's why the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And so the Bible itself, the point is, the Bible itself is a story. It is a story between Yahweh and mankind. And what kind of story is it? It is a love story. The story in the Bible is a love story. And each and every one of us is like a note that vibrates and resonant with the love song that God has called us to sing. The story in the Bible is a love story. And if you don't see the Bible that way, then you're a botanist. First few chapters of the Bible, it it peaks in chapter 3. And Adam and Eve walked hand in hand with Yahweh in the garden in the cool of the evening. All of those phrases are about love. The first chapters in the Bible are about love. The book that paints the most brilliant picture of the love of God, Hosea. Hosea is the book that is written for the very purpose of saying, this is the love story that God is having with mankind. It's a lot like most love stories. There's a broken, there's broken vow and there's a broken home. There's a broken hearts, broken lives. But this story is unique. 
This story is like no story ever told. It's one of the most beautiful stories in human history. It's the story of Yahweh's love for you and for me. That's the purpose of the book of Hosea. And here's the theme. Yahweh loves you. Yahweh loves you. And the way, there's almost a frustration, uh, and I'm projecting, but there's all but a frustration on God's part to say, how, how can I even communicate the way I love you and how much I love you? And so what he does is he inflicts his story on this prophet preacher, Hosea. And he says, For you will understand when you experience the fullness of how I love my children. And so he'll understand that by living it, and he'll experience the power of it by being in the, in the lead of it. And so to understand the characters here, Hosea is this, he's a prophet. Think of him as like an itinerant preacher. He's a young man, and God calls him to, to meet and to woo and to win over this younger lady, and her name is Gomer. I know, you have to get over that and not think... <laughs> ill of her for that name, but that, that's, those are the two major characters. And, excuse me, Hosea, Hosea's part in this is he is to play the Lord. He is to play Yahweh and how much Yahweh loves us and how he loves us. And then Gomer, she plays the part of me. She plays the part of you. She plays the part of the children of God. And Gomer, to be more specific, she's, um, I think it's a song in Oklahoma, she's just a girl who can't say no. She's ruled by her passions. She's always playing the field. She's always trading up by jumping from bed to bed. She's not faithful to any man, to any lover. She's out for her own gain and enjoyment in life. And God comes to Hosea and says, you marry her. Mary Gomer. And Hosea shows up to the wedding ceremony with the prize of his virtue, of his righteousness, of his innocence. And I'm sure when Gomer met him, she might have been swept off her feet because she'd never met a man like this. This is not the type of man that she associated with. A man of great courage, a heart of a hero, the zeal of a saint. And she said, I do. And Hosea, he knew about her background. Everyone did. There were nothing but small towns back in these days. And, and so he knew about her getting around, and he just thought, you know what? Her past is not good, but God brought us together, clearly, so our future will be filled with happiness and joy. Hosea was wrong. That's not what happened. Gomer's heart was never attracted to the righteousness and the religion of Hosea. And little by little, bit by bit, she found herself wandering back into her previous lifestyle. Day after day, she's returning home later and later. Night after night, Hosea is staying up a little bit longer. Sleep that he needed to have, he couldn't afford to lose, but he was staying up for her. And after a while, I'm sure Hosea prayed, this is not the way it was meant to be. I, I desperately need some help, Lord. We, you have to do something to bring us together. And I would imagine that he thought her pregnancy would be an answer to that prayer. Maybe this child, maybe this child could awaken her heart to be a giving mother that would ignite all types of love, maybe even a love uh, for Hosea. And, and as children do, 
this might have been in your experience when they're young and parents are fighting. She, he, this little boy could be the one that grabs the hand of Gomer and grabs the hand of, of Hosea and brings them together and say, let's not fight. Little children have that kind of power. That's what he was hoping for. But he was wrong. That's not what happened with this child. As a matter of fact, by the end of the parenting cycle, they have three children. And not one of those children belonged to Hosea. And by the third child that's born, he is so bittered and heartbroken, he names the child, not my child. That would have been a pretty interesting baby dedication. So Hosea, uh, where's, where's your wife Gomer? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, so anyway, we're going to dedicate these children. What's, what's, what's his little name, this little guy? Uh, not my child. Well, okay. <laughs> Let's all pray for Hosea. So even though he is uh, raising these three children that don't belong to him, and even though his wife, Gomer, is out being an adulteress, he will not divorce her. So she leaves him. She doesn't come home one day. She has no intention of coming home. Leaves a note on the nursery door that said something about, I need freedom. I missed my timeshare on Pleasure Island. I need to go back. And some of you don't need to imagine what that's like to play the role of mother and father. Now you're doing all those things, those nurturing skills that require two types, making that supper and going to their beds and saying those cute prayers, tucking them in, watching them drift off to sleep. And there's no sleep for Hosea. Gomer has left the house, but, he, but she has not left his heart. And the reason is because he has the heart of Yahweh. And he can't shake her. He can't say, I'm done with you. Gomer's out thinking she can just trade up. She'll play the game she used to play, the way she used to play it. All these rules that were encumbering to her, not anymore. And what happened to her is so predictable. How many songs have been written about life in the fast lane? How many movies have you seen where it always starts off with people being able to dominate that lifestyle? It serves me. And then you serve it. You're on a ride for your life and the ride ends with you crashing face first into the ground. That's what happens to her. She's passed around from man to man on her way up and then on her descent into darkness. And she finally finds herself housed with a man that can't even provide for her, not food, not shelter, not clothing. All this while Hosea watches from a distance. And he watches the woman he loves become hungry, starving, emaciated. And he can't take it anymore. So he makes fists out of his hands and he goes to the house and knocks on the door and the man answers and he says, are you the one that's living with Gomer? I am. He said, I'm her husband. And I mean, just assume it's time to go knuckle to knuckle. And, and he says, well, what are you going to do about it? And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. I haven't been clear. I love her. She's still my wife. Could you take my silver and my gold and care for her? Could you buy her some food? 
Could you put some clothes on her? Could you take care of her? <laughs> His hands were in a fist because they were holding provisions. And so, sure, I mean, the guy says, yeah, you are the stupid fool that she talks about. I'll take your money. I'll do that. And that's what he does. Now, listen, wait, I know what you're thinking. Uh, Matt, are you telling this story right? Are you sure you got the details in this? Is this the way that it works where the, he's paying, he's using his good silver and his good gold to give to his wife's lover so, so that she could be cared for? And all she's given him is unfaithfulness. Yes, that's how the story goes. Here it is, chapter 2, verse 5. Hosea says, their mother is, shame, is a shameless prostitute and became pregnant in a shameful way. She said, I will run after other lovers and sell myself to them for food and for water, for clothing of wool and linen and, and for the olive oil and, and, and for drinks. Look at the extravagant life I get to live with all this freedom. Look at all the things I have. And it was not from her or her lover. The next two verses later in verse 8, it says, but she doesn't even realize that it was I who gave her everything she has, the grain and the new wine and the olive oil. I even gave her silver and gold, and she gave all of my gifts to false gods Baal. Hosea just watches in the shadows from a distance. She's, he's seeing this, this man that lives with his wife take his possession, this, this money, and go and, and comes home with grocery bags filled with food, a new dress, walks in the door, and Gomer jumps off the couch, runs to him, and gives him passionate thanks for all that he's doing for her. This is the gift of true love, but it is delivered by a liar, and it's taken by a fool. And that's God's love for us. And if we're tempted to judge Gomer, the point of the story is that we are Gomer. This is how we treat God and his provisions. This, the, the, we, we look at Jehovah Jireh, the God who, God who gives, the God who provides for us. And, and we give thanks to everything and everyone with the exception of God himself. He gives us food for our table. He gives us clothes for our body. He puts shelter over our heads. And we, we thank the government. Probably we do not thank the government. We thank our family. We thank friends. We thank uh, the fortunate circumstances in life. We thank our hard work, right? We thank luck. Sometimes we thank luck as though that's a thing, right? It is like a God to us. And the heart of God is wounded and bewildered. The song, that's his breath in our lungs that we're singing with. And that's, that's the point of this story as we played as part of Gomer never giving thanks, never giving back. So before we move on, uh, the story, uh, the next movement, it's different. Uh, let me just add, you know, the question, that, does God really love us like this? Is this the way the love of God is shown in a story or painted in a picture. And I would say that every chapter and every book that's written in the Bible testifies the, to this kind of love. This is what the love of God is like. 
We run from him. We throw these little fits. We discard him when we're done using him. I was very close to God in a season of my life when I was tired, when I was alone, when I was destitute, and he rescued me, and then I got better, and who needs a Band-Aid when all things are healed? And we reject him, and we put him off, and we don't, we're not, we don't show gratitude or thanks, thankfulness. And then, and then if we were to stop and just turn around, he'd be there. He'd be saying, I, I want you back. He, he'd say, I, I, I want us to be lovers. This whole story is about me loving you and you responding to that love. That's this story. So if you're wondering, is, is this really accurate in the way that God loves us? Every page of every book that's written in holy writ testifies that God loves us that way. Well, since uh, paying all her bills is not changing Gomer, Hosea realizes that he's going to have to set her free. He's going to have to let her go. And so chapter 2 turns to love, but it's tough love. And he realizes that she has planted these seeds, and she needs to harvest and then taste that bitter fruit. Maybe, maybe she'll change then. He realizes that she has sown a wind, and she will have to reach, reap a whirlwind to possibly be saved. And so there it is in 14 and 15. She says, he says, <clears throat> But maybe, listen, wait, wait, wait. Maybe I will win her back once again. Like, I will lead her into the desert, and I will speak tenderly to her there in the desert. And I, I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there. Yeah, that's it. She, she will, uh, as she did a long time ago when she was young. When I, when I freed her from the captivity of Egypt, he's referring to Israel. Israel is his child. You and I are his child. And so it'll, she'll be grateful again if I just, if he's saying, I will lead her into this wilderness. I'll take her and she'll stumble her way into this valley of trouble. And the valley of trouble is an awful place. It is a dreadful place. But in this place, he says, there's a door. And that doorway leads to salvation. It leads to hope. There's, there's some things that you... That, Right? Only pain will tell you the truth. And so he, God does this for Israel. God does this in love for, for us. We're, we're, like, uh, we're like crazy, big, you know, muscular dogs that just are, are uh, inhibited by the leash. And we're pulling on the leash of God that God's holding for us, and he, we're tearing away. We want to go places that we shouldn't go that will destroy our lives and the lives of the people that love us, and we just want to be free. And so sometimes God says, okay, sure, I'm just going to let the leash go. Run. Run to this place, this valley of trouble, where there's broken dreams and broken lives and broken hearts. You will hurt the people that you love the most. So go. I have found in my own life and I have found in the lives of many people that you can't hear. Some people, they can't hear this. What he said, I will speak this tender whisper. They can't hear the tender whisper of God until they hear the prison doors slam behind them. And then they're all tuned in. And God says, okay. I mean, I'll whisper to you there. If we need to go there, I can do that. 
And that's what's happening in the story in chapter three. Now, you know, free from the protection of Hosea, she finds herself descending to the place of, of hitting the ground. And she's been passed along from man to man to man. And now she finds herself owned by a man that has used up all of her. And he's just trying to get a little bit of his money back on her, and so he puts her up for sale. He sells her as a slave. Very common. Every even medium-sized town back in those days would have regular auctions of slaves. And at least some people say, uh, historians will say, particularly with the women, they would put them on a block, strip them naked so the buyer beware, know what they're getting here, and, and sell them like animals like produce. And that's what happened to Gomer. That's where she ended up. And the morning of that slave auction, God came and woke up Hosea and said, you need to go to that auction and you need to buy her back. And so he did. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be Gomer, you know, to be standing in front of your small town exposed and people are bidding on your on ownership and then you hear a, a voice from your past and it's your husband and you hear him continue to raise the price until he wins and it, it appears according to the passage that he gave everything he had his gold is silver and raided his pantry for some wheat to make it to get to the top i'll bet she's thinking right he's getting revenge He's going to buy me and torment me. He's going to terrorize me, and I have this coming. That's absolutely what I should, would happen. And Gomer was wrong because Hosea came over, and he covers her nakedness and restores the dignity of a woman, and then he takes her hand, and he brings her home. How could any man love anyone that way? What could possibly possess him to do all of that for all that she's done to him? In front of his town, where everybody knows the story, he empties his vaults to pay for her. All she gave him was disrespect, humiliation, and infidelity. One of the best sentences in the Bible answers that question. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then Yahweh said to me, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate the, that Yahweh still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods, and they love worshiping those other gods. The reason Hosea was able to do what he did, the reason he was capable of loving at that level, is because he was possessed by the very love of Yahweh. He had that pure love living inside of his soul for this purpose, so that you and I would understand what does it mean when we say Yahweh is love. This story was required for us to be convinced of the power of that love. And so what does she do? <laughs> Right? You know, was she, was she transformed you know, by this purchase? Was she, was she melted or hardened? That's the only way you can respond to this, right? Would, was she revolutionized by this love or was she embittered by it? You never know. 
The story doesn't end. That, right? It just leaves you. It's like the prodigal son where it doesn't end with a conclusion. It leaves you hanging. Because I, the point is to ask the question, not what, would she, what does she do, but what, what do you do with this? What do I do with this maybe newfound understanding of the love of God? How do we respond to go and love fill in your name? Go and love Matt again, even though he commits adultery with other lovers, and though, even, so, that, so that everyone would know Yahweh loves you. And so that all the people would know that even though you turn to other gods and love the worship of these other distractions, he still loves you. What do you do? Here's what we're supposed to do. Because when Hosea takes Gomer home, he stands on the front porch before they walk through that, cross that threshold once again, he holds her hand and says this to her, verse three, and I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or intimate with any other man and I will behave the same towards you. Here's what he's saying. I mean, it's, I mean, it's clear. I was made for you, and you were made for me, and we weren't meant to share with each other, with, with other people. We were meant to love. We are lovers. God redeemed us. He bought us. He owns us. And now, for the love of God, for the love from God, we are to be faithful to him because we're lovers. That's the, that's the point of this lesson. <laughs> God loves us, so therefore, just love him back. <laughs> just love him back. And by loving him back, you're going to love other people, and you're going to find yourself praising, and you're going to find yourself serving, and you'll find yourself sacrificing, and you'll do things that nothing else could motivate you to do. It is the love of God. Know this truth, that God does not love you for who you are. God does not love you for what you do. God loves you in spite of who you are. God loves you in spite of what you do. This... We, we, we go to this merit system in our relationship with God. It is not original programming. It was, it was added at the fall, but it is, it's what we go to all the time. It has this virus that goes like this. If I do this for God, he will do this for me. There's a thousand different flavors of this legalism, but there's a word for it, okay? This, this thing where, where I do this and, and then God will love me or whatever, there's a word for that. The word is heresy. There's, there's no power in this merit system. There's no power to change a soul. There's another reason why it doesn't make sense. Because the Bible is a love story. It's not a job form. It, it, discipline and duty can take you so far, but it can't take you into the things that matter. Only love can take you to those places of real transformation, of real enjoyment of life. This merit system, it is not the gospel. It is a lie. If, um, if God doesn't love you for what you do, if you were to, to, to leave everything here and go to some far corner of the world and serve him the rest of your life, he wouldn't love you any more than he does right now. If you just sell everything, just, you know, right, empty the vaults, 
eradicate all of your savings and give it to his church, that would be awesome. He wouldn't love you any more than he does right now because he doesn't love you for what you do. He loves you in spite of what you do. And if you're kind of coming to the conclusion, so why do good at all, then you're following the logic. Why not just sin more if he's not going to love me any less? That's what most of the epistles answer because they're following the logical conclusion that he can't love you anymore. The answer is, really? You're asking that? He loves you. <laughs> That's why. And when you're standing underneath the crucified Christ and you see that love and the cost and grasp that and respond to that, then you'll respond in wonder and worship and service and sacrifice. And it'll all be for love. It's, a, it's an entirely different fuel to run on, I know. And I, do, I don't, I, it can, I can make this sound like it's a simple thing and I can make it sound like it's an instantaneous thing. It's not. It takes, it takes not months, maybe even, not even years, but decades to just, it's an unfathomable, it is, it, it is a, a concept that has no bottom. And you're, you're supposed to be constantly learning about the depth of this love that God has for you. And, and then it changes your, your prime directive in life. It changes your life motto. It changes what you do. It changes why you do things, this love of God. And so whatever pleases God, it pleases you. Whatever pleasures God, it becomes my passion. So hear this. Write this down. Memorize this. Place this on the front lobe of your soul. God does not love you for who you are. He does not love you for what you do. He loves you in spite of who you are, Gomer. He loves you in spite of what you do because he is. God is love. And when we find ourselves drinking deeply into that vat, we find ourselves responding in love and worship and service and sacrifice. That's how you respond. Some of you, you might even be visiting or you're kind of on this journey. You haven't really trusted Jesus Christ, you know, for your relationship with God. You're still kind of thinking that, you know, if you do good, he'll like you more. And, and I, I can understand that. This is a great Sunday to be here. This is a great Sunday to find out that that's not how this system works. And I, you need to know this, that you probably have felt uh, in, in life that you felt like you've been searching for God sometimes. And you, you feel like he's abandoned you. You feel like you're looking around saying, well, where's God? I mean, I can't hear him. I don't see him. And one of the points of Hosea answers that question. It, it says this, God is not lost, you are. Hosea plays the place of God and he follows Gomer everywhere. He follows her into the desert of trouble because maybe there she will hear his whisper and open a door to salvation and hope. All this time, God has been pursuing us. He's pursued you, he's pursued me to some hilltop called Calvary, through a tunnel called the empty tomb, through the mazes of our lives. He's been with us the whole time, 
and he's been wanting us to respond to his initiation of love. Augustine, in in the Confessions, writes this. This is God speaking. He says, take heart, little child. You would not be seeking me unless I had already found you. (laughs) The Bible is a love story. The first story in the Bible is about Adam and Eve walking hand in hand with Yahweh in the garden in the cool of the evening. It's always been a love story. The last story in the Bible is a wedding feast because the whole Bible is a love story. Each book, 66 times, says this, will you marry me? Will you love me? Will you respond to my love for you? Will you say yes and then believe it? He says, I don't want to share you. I want you to be all of mine. Most of everything you want is on the other side of fear. Perfect love from Yahweh casts out all fears. What duty and discipline can take you, it runs and hides. Where love can transcend. It, the power of God's love will change you. Grace transforms. That's why we say that here. It's the only thing that's true. Let God's love, the love of Yahweh, define you. Let that be the definition of your soul. Let the love that forged the creation itself be the fuel that your soul runs on. Cast yourself into his love and watch what he does with your life. He'll make it abundant. That's the love of God. God is love. Yahweh is love. Would you join me in prayer? This love that will never let us go, we cast ourselves on you. We are so grateful in our hearts and minds. We thank we are thankful for the love that was demonstrated in the life of Hosea and Gomer in the life of Jesus Christ. You loved us in spite of us holding the nails that were hammered into your body as you looked at us and you said, Father, forgive them. This is crazy love. Oh, what is man that you should be mindful of him. You did not spare your own son. He freely gave him up for us. How you will not also with him graciously give us all these things. Spirit, I'd ask that you would cause our soul against our will to have a greater understanding of the love that the Father has given us. Father, I'd ask that we would respond in reverence and enjoy into a singularity of loving you back. We would not be distracted by petty things, my false idols, my old lifestyles. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would have a greater grasp of the cost that you paid, that you might buy us back out of slavery. You paid everything. You emptied heaven 
that you might propose to us, Lord, I'd ask that we would say yes and live that life that you would enjoy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.